Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, and I always like to give you a little preview of what's coming up. For our inbox, we have a listener who's frustrated with her parents because they are too involved in her dating life. So one of our counselors is going to give some good ideas on how to set boundaries in this situation. And then for our culture, doctors Greg and Michael Smalley, yeah, they're brothers and they're both doctors, uh, are back with us for part two of our conversation about how men do relationships. So ladies, if you've been wondering how to better understand guys, you want to tune in. Okay, here we are for our roundtable, and this roundtable today is actually born out of a question from one of you listeners who is like, "Um, so I'm trying to like break into the workforce, and I need experience, but every time I interview, the hiring people are like, "Uh, you need experience. So how am I supposed to get experience if you're not going to let me get experience? So very frustrated. (laughs) So fortunately, um, we have got Shawnee, Travis, and Josh here because they have hired and fired and maybe been hired and fired themselves. They've got experience and they're going to give you the low down, dirty tricks and tips of how to do this right. So welcome, y'all. Thank you. Hey, Lisa. (laughs) All right. Good to have you here. Okay, so we're going to jump right into this because, again, we want this to be very practical for our people out there who are frustrated. And, you know, we just came off of a horrifying year of employment. Many people in our audience were furloughed, some just straight up like businesses tanked and stuff. So many people are in a spot right now where they're like, yeah, I'm either unemployed or I'm underemployed and I need some help. So let's um, start out, like, just give us a little overview of so that we can kind of get to know you of your experience in working specifically with millennials and Gen Z hiring those folks and kind of where you are in this dog, dog fight as we start talking about it. Shawnee, you start. Thanks, Lisa. Um, I've been working at Focus as a recruiter for the past year plus, right around the COVID pandemic. And previous to that, I've done some recruiting. Um, but we have some some things that we would love to share with our listeners about how to get into the workforce. Okay, good. So this is literally your day-to-day job. This is, is how- what I do. <laughs> okay, awesome. Travis? All right, so this is not my job. I'm not a recruiter, but I spend most of my time, it feels like, looking at recruiting, trying to develop talent and grow them in the workplace. I've spent about 10 years in uh, the business world and about another 10 years in the nonprofit world. And in each of those areas have worked with a lot of young people to help them develop the skills that they need to be really successful in whatever career that they choose. Okay, that sounds very positive. We're going to find out if he's actually one of those jerk bosses who's telling millennials how to do their jobs all the time. So. No, no, we'll no. We just we spend a lot of time reading how to win friends and influence people. Okay, excellent. Josh, what about you? Yeah, so I actually manage a couple of teams, um, and my uh, I have two levels of teams. One that I am very comfortable um, hiring folks that are fresh out of college or uh, with minimal experience. And then I have another team where I tend to look for folks who have a little bit more job experience. So it, it, it allows me to kind of classify where someone's at um, so that they can be properly slotted. Because there are entry-level jobs. There are levels that um, people shouldn't have that expectation. Like, you have to have multiple years of experience. 
um, just to, just to get in the door. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about that young adult who, you know, maybe they have a little bit of experience, but not a ton. Maybe they're competing against people who have more experience. For that person who does have just a little bit of work experience or a solid degree, and they look like a, you know, relatively a good prospect, what are the things specifically that you look for? So give give hope to that younger person who's like, I may not have the years and years of experience and the multiple degrees and certificates, but I want to bring something to the table. What can they bring? Well, Lisa, let me jump in here. And I'm going to be speaking from the frame of hiring at focus because that's what I'm doing here. And we're actually focusing a lot on bringing in Gen Z, millennials, people who are just getting started and they've gone the traditional route of going to college and they have some experience, but it's probably not relevant to what it is that they're wanting to jump into. And we are looking at a lot of colleges making partnerships. We're wanting to bring people that are just getting started to bring in because they have great energy. They're highly passionate about what they want to do, but they also need to make a living. So some of the things that we're looking for, we're looking for personality. We're always looking for personality fit. And even beyond that, one of the core things that focus, we're always looking for people who are being led here by the Lord himself. We're wanting people who are feeling called by him. But on the flip side, you might have to start looking at something that may not be related to what you went to school for. It's not your dream job. You may just need to lower your expectations a little bit and start looking at some places where you could get your start because you never know where it's going to end up. And at a lot of organizations, focus included, we love to promote from within. And so if you can find your place and get your start here, learn about the culture, you're going to be in a position to move up into something that you really do want to do, but you need to put some work in first, maybe elsewhere to start finding your spot. Okay. Yeah, so some of the things that I uh, look for when I'm uh, particularly looking at young people in the market is I'm looking at who you are, just what are those attributes, the personality, how you communicate, um, what have you done? I Even if somebody doesn't have experience, I have to believe every student has done something. All of those extracurriculars that uh, a student has been involved in all the projects that they've potentially been involved in, anything that they have led, I'm curious as to what got them there. Because at the end of the day, I'm looking for people who really want to add value to something. So there's a lot of young people today that I see are looking to be given something. And what I've seen is we are looking, most of us who are employing are looking for people who are, uh, are willing to give something to their employer, to add value to their employer. And so I think that's a, that's a really big piece. So when somebody's out there looking, ask themselves, what kind of value can I add to this organization versus what is this organization going to be doing for me? You know, it's interesting, Travis, because I was just thinking about this in terms of when we take on employees and or interns for Boundless, I am actually surprised at how many young adults have very little or no social media experience. Because I would think, so for us, that's a big thing at Boundless is managing our social media. And again, we talk all the time about don't let it rule your life. So we don't want someone that's just like, that's my whole life. I'm a YouTube star, whatever. But (laughs) it is very good to have that kind of experience 
experience having run your own channels, maybe having run a channel for your college or university or some special club so that you know how to do legitimate maneuvering around some of those things. And so if you're going to come to me and say you want to be part of Boundless, a digital online community, and say, no, I'm just trying to live the ascetic life and I want to be in a monastery and I don't do anything on, you know, online or whatever. Okay, you're probably not the best fit for us. But, you know, when we when we want to talk about, you know, meditation and mindfulness, we'll call you or whatever. But anyway, so anyway, all that to yeah. say, I think that's a good point. Josh, you weigh in. Yeah, no, I really love what you said, Shani, about this idea of having good expectations. I think managers need that, hiring managers. I think the work, the potential work staff need that. When I, so I have, I I said earlier two levels, but I actually do have an intern um, usually every summer. um, And I work in a Christian nonprofit context. So I love having interns. And my, my bar for interns, Christian and breathing. Like (laughs) if you have those skills, then you're in because I I assume you know nothing and you're here to learn. And for the listeners, like that's a great way to get experience because the moment I see that on a resume for my next level, my entry level position, I'm thinking, oh, you have an internship? Oh, you did this? These were some of the things you got exposed to? Okay, you're not completely foreign to the tasks that I will have you do. And so for me, um, once I'm then looking for an entry level employee or a beginning staff person, I want to see maybe a relevant degree, a resume, right? That's clean, like Mm -hmm. no typos. You know, when you say you have attention to detail and you're like misspelling words, we've got some problems. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then we talk about this all the time um, in my context, this idea of humble, hungry, smart, Uh, based on Patrick Lencioni's work. He calls it the ideal team player. But humble is humble. Hungry is like driven, right? Ready to go get something done, being a contributing member to the team. And then smart is just having this emotional intelligence to, like, read a room, you know? Like, you don't have to be the center. You know when to talk. You know when not to. Um, and then in my next level, that that more young professionals, they've got a little bit of experience. I'm looking for all those previous things, but also a little bit of relevant experience and just a strong ability to communicate. Like, an interview tells me everything. I know within 15 seconds, like, I want to engage this person or I don't. Yeah. Okay, so none of you are boomers, which I think is helpful for this conversation because you can kind of have one foot in the world of the young adult having, you know, recently been a young adult, some of you. But um, but here's the deal. they I think a lot of young adults have this stereotype of the angry boomer who's hiring, who's like super stodgy and is like, if you're here at 801, you're too late and I won't put up with that and all this kind of stuff. So help them understand because many many boomers are out there and now even gen xers and whatever they're the ones in management they're the ones hiring they're the ones who are trying to understand millennials and and gen z help our young adults um identify what are some of the most irritating common mistakes that they are doing that is really they're either you know, it's it's not endearing them to the hiring managers that they're trying to get favor with. So just kind of call out some of those things that honestly they need to stop doing or need to temper down a little bit. Uh, you know, Josh brought out uh, resumes. 
And uh, sometimes you can see a lot on a resume. I have become a fan of super simple resumes Mm -hmm. um, because some of the resumes I get, uh, I don't need a good like glamour shot, (laughs) um, magazine looking resume. Save that Um, for the dating profiles. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And and, and every uh, personality test that you took online um, to represent. I I really am looking for, does this person have the heart and I think the hungry, uh, humble, and smart is 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 a positive thing. Are they hungry? Do they want to grow? Are they excited about growth? And and are they willing to make? I'd say in the nonprofit context, particularly, are they willing to make some certain sacrifices in order to be in the nonprofit sector? Um, and uh, so those are some of the things that that I see. And then again, I mentioned it earlier is. There, I, I have seen sometimes a propensity for people to believe that they are God's gift to any organization um, just because they applied. And there is a certain amount of just having that humility to be, I really am excited to serve. So to do enough homework on the organization that you're going to be applying for and to be able to reflect the organization's values back to them versus push your values onto the organization— um, that speaks a lot of the emotional intelligence of anybody that I'd be considering uh, hiring. Yeah. I'm just going to jump in with a quick comment to that, Travis. Um, I have actually had people apply for jobs at Boundless that had no idea what Boundless was about and couldn't couldn't tell you our audience, couldn't tell you stuff that we'd done. They just kind of heard from someone or read an article and it looked cool. And it's like, yeah, you need to do your research. In fact, we just had an article not too long ago. Uh, you guys check it out from Joshua Rogers along these lines of like it, really nailing an interview. You need to be ready to do that. So, all right. Yeah, because there's really a lot of hard work that goes into this process. You can't expect to do little output and get the job that you want. You need to do your work on the organization and think about when you submit your resume, a lot of people, they give about 30 to 45 seconds to glance through it. They look at your titles. They look to see how long you were there for. They look to see if you have relevant experience that is related to the job description. Cover letters are always a great idea. People may read them and may not, but at least you've put in the extra effort. Then if you get to the point where you actually interview, be aware of your body language, think about You know, doing generational studies is a great idea because then you can come in with an idea of what are things that is important to this person? How can I put my best foot forward to represent myself well, show great body language? Um, You know, follow-up thank you letters, I think, have become a thing of the past. But every time I've written a follow-up thank you Mm -hmm. letter, people are always impressed. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it's very hard to do, Mm -hmm. but it can go a really long way to at least making you stand out. Yep. Where you may not get that job, but they'll probably remember you for something else. I've had many people where I ended up not hiring them, but recommending them to another manager within my organization mm-hmm. because they impressed me. They weren't the right fit, but they impressed me enough because of things like that in the interview or whatever. And um, I'll recommend them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to to answer your other question, though, Lisa, so obviously the I mentioned the resume. That's the first impression, right? And I'm looking for that relevant thing. And and if you just have a clean resume, simple, like Travis said, I love that. Um, don't need the glamour shots. Don't need any photos, really. Just show me the facts on paper. Um, that's, that's a great start. And you can really mess that up by overdoing it or trying to sell yourself. But I've seen things on resumes like how many countries a person went to. 
So think about the job you're applying for. And I work in a financial uh, element of a nonprofit. And you're ch- you're telling me you go to all these countries. Like, how is that relevant? Why do I care? Just t- tailor that resume to the job you're applying for, in my mind. That makes sense to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the interview is, to me, if you can get past uh, my initial glance and you're willing to do an interview and I'm willing to do an interview, then I want to just see people who are joyful. There's nothing worse than somebody telling me about – all the things they're going to do to make my department great when they don't know anything about it. Or they've, they're telling me all the negative things about the last job and why they would love to work for me. Well, you're telling me you're a negative person, <laughs> and I've got no interest in hiring yeah. a negative person. So those are the things that I've seen just really blow an interview. Yeah, that's Absolutely. interesting. Um, it's funny because as you guys were talking, I thought of a couple others too because I've uh, you know hired and fired for years. Two things that really irritate me is someone who comes in and from the get-go, one of their first questions is either some version of is there a flexible work schedule, mm-hmm. which to me, you know, and I'm not even that old, you guys. I mean, to me is like can I just grab my laptop and go sit out by a stream somewhere and just do my work? Okay. <laughs> what I'm not saying that you're not going to do work out by a stream and I'm not saying that you can't be totally legit and I'm not even for that. I mean, I, I might be, but you don't lead with that. You don't kind of go <laughs> what to can the you table. Do for me? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then the other one is is similar to that. And that's kind of some version of does this job offer a lot of variety and fun and kind of like I'm supposed to be crafting this like reality TV show for you to be part of <laughs> that's going to be your eight to five. And so stuff like that just kind of sets you up as being a little bit of a, a shallow poser. And so I would say don't don't lead with that. Um, instead, lead with Josh, you alluded to this. How are you going to make my job easier? Right. Because right. I mm-hmm. need someone who's going to pick up something that I can't do myself, either because of time or skill or whatever. So you come in crafting how all of a sudden my workload's going to be easier, and now I'm listening. So you just gave me the best interview question. I'm going to start using that. How are you going to make my job easier? There you go. <laughs> I'm going to start using that, Lisa. <laughs> yep, exactly. But so. it's, it's such a it's, that's such an important point. When you are a hiring manager, you are you, you've you've often you're trying to fix a problem that you're feeling within the organization. Whether the organization has gotten bigger and now you've got more opportunity to make something better. Or you've got an opportunity where something's broken and you need it fixed. Mm -hmm. And so the employer is looking through things a lot. They want to offer as much as they can to any employee. But they're also looking at things through the lens of how is this going to help? And so anybody who's looking for a job has to be thinking of how can I attempt to serve this boss, this organization, and again, they've got to be able to filter things not through just their lens, but through the lens of the employer. Yeah. Okay. So in the last uh, just couple minutes that we have here, I want you guys to give any last minute forward looking tips to folks who are listening. So kind of along the lines of that person who's discouraged because they just can't seem to find a job or they're just not able, they're, they're so overwhelmed. I mean, in today's age where you've got corporations, you've got nonprofits, you're trying to work LinkedIn, you're trying to meet all your parents' friends and do figure out how to do this. How can someone, um, what should they do? What would you say to them beyond just keep trying? What's your best advice? Keep trying. <laughs> okay. no. That is good just, as well, but I just said it. <laughs> I, think, I think it's so good that, uh, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate is when people are working on their relationships. 
uh, you can never underestimate the value of, of relationships. And so work on relationships, work on your communication skills every chance you get. Put yourself in uncomfortable positions when you don't have a job. Um, it will prepare you for when you ultimately do have a job. Yeah, I would say uh, I'll share a quick story. So um, I'm wanting to work uh, about four, four and a half years ago. I'm looking for a job, and I my current situation was ending, and I needed something. And I had resumes out. I had, you know, I, I'm in the same place that maybe some of these kids right out of college were, but I had a little bit of experience. But I, I wasn't getting anywhere. And there was this one job, the one I have now, that I really wanted, and I could not get the HR department to call me back and, like, solidify, like, hey, yeah, we want to move forward with you. Those and darn recruiters. Recruiters <laughs> are the worst. Mm-hmm. So just kidding. The, but the, uh, ultimately, they, were, they would tell me when I call in, well, we haven't ruled you out, but we, we haven't decided to move forward with you either. So they were, they were frank, but they weren't, you know, mm-hmm. mean about it. And I finally was coming down to the wire. My other job was coming to an end, and I decided enough's enough. I'm going to buy a plane ticket. I'm going to go out there, and they can turn me down to my face. Wow. And it was that tenacity. When my boss heard that story of what I did, he was like, well, that's what I'm looking for, so let's hire this guy. Hmm. And ironically, like, that's what I want to see. I want to see people who are just going to go and do what needs to get done. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's good. For me, I'm going to circle back to something I said earlier, which is to lower your expectations a little bit because – it's going to take some time to get to do what it is that you really want to do. But anytime you can take advantage of an opportunity, it's going to help you to get one step closer because you can always build a new skill set. You can always meet a new person. You never know who knows who and how they know them, which is currency in today's workplace. And so I would just encourage people in not giving up. Sometimes you have to just find a J-O-B. You just need it. Sometimes you're going to have to do that. But There's always opportunity everywhere you go. There's always people to meet. And you never know if you're working at the Starbucks counter, the CEO from the company that you're dying to work for comes in and you have the best attitude and you're so filled with joy. They're going to remember you. Mm -hmm. And I know people that will remember them. Mm -hmm. They'll say, hey, I'm really interested. You want to come by and just chat? So relationships are really key, like Travis said. That is so true. I would just say uh, to add to that, I feel like so many, like for for the hiring manager, one of the biggest fears is just hiring a a freak or a <laughs> or someone else. Yeah. Or Always someone my you, biggest fear: hiring a freak. <laughs> hiring a freak, someone you do not want to go out to lunch with, or someone that you thought could do the job, and all of a sudden they can't do the job. So my advice is, um, if you find somewhere that you want to work. Offer to volunteer, offer to go in there and do something for free because they need that's a safe way for them to get to know you and to show your skills without any commitment on their part. And you're just like, you know what, I will do this job. Let me come in for a few days. Let me come in for a week. Let me um, offer to help on this project. Do that. And the second thing I always, always, always tell people, and they're only finally starting to believe me is rock the informational interview. This is where you go to your hairdresser. uh, You go to people who are neighbors. You go to every single one of your parents' friends, and you say, can I sit down with you for 15 minutes and ask you about what you do, what you like about it, Mm -hmm. what you don't like about it? Because if they like you and they decide that, oh, you might have some skills, uh, they might hire you, or Mm -hmm. they might know someone who knows someone who knows someone who is hiring, and you need to maximize that because you never know 
who you might meet that has a connection for you. And so make it happen. But you guys, thank you so much for weighing in on this. This was really fun. I appreciate your yeah. input. We wish every young person the best. Woo woo. Glad to, Lisa. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I am persuaded of this one thing. There's no We are back uh, here. This week's culture segment, a continuation of last week. So if you didn't hear last week yet, jump back because I am talking to Greg Smalley and Michael Smalley, both of them marriage and relational experts. Both of them have been on the show before. Um, They're also brothers, just so you know. But um, I feel like last week... (laughs) We we settled most of the problems in your relationship as brothers. <laughs> now we got to work on like men and women and their relationships. No, it's we all good. We are doing better though, so thank you. That is good. I probably helps that you're not in the same state. But anyway, um, okay. So last week we left off talking about kind of that that dating, some of the awkwardness of like how do I kind of start this conversation, not just focusing on me. Blah blah blah. But let's talk about like moving along then in a relationship. I I think a lot of women especially feel like they're a little nervous about pulling the trigger on, say, getting serious or moving towards engagement because they just don't feel they've really accessed their boyfriend's heart. And how do they know (laughs) that he's being real? How do they know that he really has feelings, that he knows how to express them? I mean, we know after the fact that communication and conflict or big marriage, you know, issues in marriage and stuff. So getting the enough information and the right kind of information. And for women, that's going to be deep stuff. It's going to be feelings. It's going to be burdens, feeling heard. What's the assurance that you (laughs) would give a woman or how do they go about kind of mining that from a guy? First, like every, let's just, kind of remove the veil or let's rip the wool off of our eyes and kind of go into dating and go into marriage with eyes wide open because there is not a person you can meet and date or court and get married that isn't going to be messed up. We're all messed up. Everybody is. So every relationship is going to have trouble. We have, we, we, we get into trouble because of gender differences, personality difference, family of origin different, like all these things 
we bring into the relationship. And, and while we're dating, we're always putting our best foot forward. And so it, it's understanding that no matter how well my dating life goes, like my wife and I had a cloud nine, there were miracles. We were madly in love and I was her knight in shining armor. She was the girl of my dreams. We started dating in July of 94, engaged in September and then married in December. And we, w- we could not have been more happy. And then 18 hours into our marriage, we weren't speaking to each other. <laughs> and so I don't care if you have the greatest story on earth. I don't care. Frankly, you stumbled and tripped into marriage. The key when it comes to being able to communicate healthy and where people get tripped up all the time is it, it becomes more about I want to be right instead of seeking understanding. And so we, we bring in that self-centeredness and we, we start demanding or a lot of, you know, women tend to protest and demand that I need connection. And, and, and then men are going, well, you're nagging me or you're being critical. And then men will start shutting down and stonewalling and avoiding. And, and we get into that miserable dance. And what they fail to understand is at any point I can choose to react differently. I can choose to react in a way that will help my partner, my spouse, this person I'm dating, uh, lean into me when I'm able to speak their language, which is why the men's relational toolbox is such a helpful thing, is that it teaches men, hey, this is probably what your wife is looking for, so you can do it, you can learn it, you just need to start applying it. And, and a lot of people are just totally unaware. They don't even know that they're getting into that miserable dance. And once they learn, honestly, things can turn around quickly. And I think, too, it's it's so important to remember that the, the paradox of marriage, the paradox of, of deeper relationships is that it requires risk and vulnerability. And that's scary for a lot of people. There's there's some people that maybe through their family of origin and just their experiences that they're not super afraid to be known, to really open up and to allow you to see all the good, the bad, and the ugly. But I would say most people are really, really afraid, even if they're not willing to admit that. Mm -hmm. The, The fear is that if I really let you see deeply into me that you're gonna judge me, you won't wanna be around me. And that's a huge fear. And so when we're dating, we're trying to offer our best foot forward. We're, we're trying to control that information because we're so afraid that if you really see all those things, then then will you accept me? Will you unconditionally love me? And you hear that in a lot of the songs that are popular, just people singing about it. But if you really could see the real me, would you really accept me and love me? And so just keep that in mind mm-hmm. that, that every person is afraid at some level of being rejected, of, of if you really knew me, you wouldn't love me. Yeah. And you have to keep that in mind and, and have that awareness that how can I make this conversation in those deeper kind of engagements and that deeper information feel safe to people. Mm-hmm. And, and you do that by just reminding people that, you know, no judgment. I'm trying to better understand and really, really know who you are. But if you feel that resistance, just know it's probably fear. Yeah. So, I mean, I could tell you that like the average woman, the average Christian woman has already read, like she, she may not know exactly 
what to do or even feel willing to because she's trying to protect her persona too. But she's probably read about 10 Christian self-help books on this. <laughs> and so she kind of like is has this expectation of like, oh, I need to get there. I need to get there. What would be a way for her to best access that kind of vulnerability in a guy that she really wants to get to know without being overwhelming or pushy or, you know, psychoanalyzing him? Well, I, I mean, I'll tell you, one of the biggest lessons that I've had to learn, you know, in over 26 years of marriage is the art of letting go in love. And and all I mean by that is I it because Greg is dead on. If you're going to have a truly deep, intimate, connected marriage or, or relationship, it, it is about vulnerability. But what happens is we get wounded and we think, oh, no, they weren't safe that time or they didn't respond well or he didn't turn towards me or he didn't inquire or ask more about that or he wasn't trying to understand me. And the, the truth is some people are going to be better than others at it. But most importantly, what I've had to learn is, hey, there are things that my wife is not going to be good at because of who she is, personality and family of origin. I got to let that go. Like one of my big deals was feeling validated and my wife wasn't the best validator. That's it's kind of contrary to her just natural personality style. And I finally learned that, look, if she's not able to do that, am I willing to take that being validated by her off the table? Right. In, in a sense of going, look, I'm not going to demand this anymore. I'm going to release you. I'm letting you go in love and God can work with you. But I'm going to go get this need met with Christ. And and so what happens once we allow ourselves and, and genuinely live out our faith that, look, my spouse, my this person I'm dating might not be able to give me something that's really important to me. I can get that through my relationship with Christ, I can get filled up. And then like what Greg was saying, the key though, is that I need to be willing to go back and to be vulnerable and to give an opportunity again. And if it doesn't happen, that's okay. I can let that go. I can drop it. I can release it. I'll go back to Christ, get it filled and then be vulnerable again. Because if we're not willing to be vulnerable, we're basically two ships passing in the night. And it's what's hard when you're dating is that you absolutely want to create that space that someone feels safe enough to be vulnerable at the same time, recognizing as I'm dating, I'm trying to really understand this person. Are there red flags? Are there things that I'm starting to learn through that vulnerability in those conversations that now I'm thinking, I don't think I want to sign up for that. And so I think it, it, what you're not trying to do is say, well, I'll just be like God and just be all about grace and and you, you want to create that environment to where people feel safe enough to 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 really open up but you also have to be learning in in asking in in having the people in your life that you can say you know what man th this is concerning me this I don't know if this is a red flag or not what do you think 
because that, that's a part of dating that I'm, I'm observing. What am I learning? How, how are you handling my heart when we have disagreements? Is there room for both of us? Um, as I tell you about my dreams, do you encourage us? I mean, you're just looking, listening, learning through all that. So it, it's a, it's a different balancing act than it is once you're married. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when, when I became, you know, Aaron's husband, you know, then then you're employing all of that. How do I just keep making it feel safe so she keeps opening up, opening up, opening up? But when I'm dating, man, I'm trying to learn and really understand. Is is there anything that I need to be super concerned about? To Michael's point that we're all fallen, we all have issues. So it's not like you're going to meet someone and be dating someone who's who's you know scot free from all that stuff. We all have our our stuff and our issues and our baggage. And and yet. You, so you see, I mean, that's the dilemma. How do I create an environment to where you feel safe enough to reveal who you are, knowing that if I learn that stuff, maybe I need to back out in in and put an end to things. So it's not easy. Yeah. So getting back uh, to a few scenarios here where, you know, maybe you're in a good, solid relationship and, you know, sometimes people, once they've been dating for a while or after engagement or marriage, they kind of start, you know, slacking off on the intentionality or really going after the heart of the person. And I I feel like if, if I could get you guys to comment on, I just quickly jotted down a few things that I think women, the way that women communicate that is very common. And I feel like these are things that when I hear guys respond to this, it's like they want to just gouge their eyes out. Like these are things that women do that guys are just like, can't, can't do it, can't go there, whatever. Okay. So the first, so help, your job is to help guys respond well in this kind of a situation. Gotcha. Okay. So the first one is just straight up venting or emoting. So, you know, we've all seen, many of us have seen the YouTube video of the nail. Like it's it's not about the nail. Okay. So this woman, she's got a nail coming out of her forehead. She needs to get that nail out of her forehead, but she is very upset that her husband is telling her, wanting to tell her to just take out the nail. She just wants to talk about the nail. Okay. So... I'm upset about something. I just want to vent. Maybe it's a situation that happened to me, whatever. And I'm just going to go off and I need you to show up in a way (laughs) that shows that you are listening and you care and you care about my heart and you want me to be heard and seen in this situation. What do you do? I always tell people, remember what Teddy Roosevelt said, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Okay. It's what Jesus modeled when he went to Lazarus's family. He knew the perfect solution. He had the perfect solution. I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. What did he do, though? Shortest verse in the Bible. He wept first with that family. And I think when we when we connect first around emotions and we care how someone's feeling, it sets the stage then to circle back with, okay, what do we then do about it? But most guys probably default to, ooh, you're in pain, you're emoting, I need to fix that, solve that, manage that for you, make you feel better. And it just sends the message that that I you need to be fixed or that I really don't care deeply how you're feeling. So just repeat that phrase. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. Well, and you could you know, I have the perfect thing that happened in my own marriage. It was like two in the morning. I am in a dead sleep. I get waking with my wife shaking me going, get up. We need to talk now. And then she <laughs> left. 
And <laughs> and at that time, our bedroom was upstairs. And I'm like laying there trying to wake up going, what could I have possibly done? Like I've <laughs> in been my sleep. sleeping. <laughs> How am I in trouble? And, and I started to get offended. And, the, and by the time I was getting down the stairs, I'm like, you know what? This is wrong. And this is not the way to do it. We teach it so much better than what just happened. And, and then the Holy Spirit reminded me, hey, you don't know what's happening. You probably just need to go in there and go, hey, what can I do for you? And so I was like, fine. So I get in there. And she's she's kind of curled in a, in a ball of, you know, frustration on the couch. And I'm like, good Lord, she is really upset with me. And so I sat down. I go, hey, I'm I'm not sure what's going on, but how can I help? And she looked. She goes, I am so mad at my. And it was like one of her nieces. She had just had a late night call with her. She got deeply wounded. And I'm sitting there quiet going, praise God. I didn't come in guns firing like, who are you to wake me up? And I don't know what I could have done asleep, but this is right. But because I asked. And so what I find is if guys would just slow down, don't try to solve it. Don't try, but just ask, Hey, what do you need from me? And when I asked that question, she's like, honestly, I just need you to sit here and vent. She vented for two or three minutes and I listened. I didn't give any feedback or opinions. And then she was done and she literally was like, Oh my gosh, gave me a big hug. Thank you so much. You can go back to bed. I was like, okay. <laughs> so okay. Like, I'm out. I simply yeah. <laughs> wandered off back up and went right back to bed. Okay. All right. Uh, scenario number two, what I'm going to summarize as details. Um, so the punchline of this story is that, you know, whomever, say girlfriend, fiance, wife, basically rear-ended someone. And she wants to tell you that, but she starts out her story with, so anyway, I was talking to my friend Ashley this morning and then I went, well, we decided that we were going to go and get coffees together. And so we went and she came and picked me up after she, well, she had to drop her dog off at the vet. And then, <laughs> and you realize that you're settling in for what's going to be about a 45 minute account <laughs> of something that ultimately, you know, you don't know that she's going to tell you that she crashed her car. But that's really all you want to know and all you need to know, but it's not going to get there anytime soon. What do you do short of, um, uh, can you please get to the point in less than 30 yeah, seconds because I don't have time that. for Oh, okay. I thought. <laughs> don't, don't do okay. your finger and kind of the wheel motion, <laughs> like move it along. Yeah. What's your point? Yeah. Why are, Why do I need all this? Give me the, the just the facts. I, we Land the, this plane right. for the love of all things holy. <laughs> yeah. What, what what I what I've learned to do is is when Aaron, my wife, does that. Um, I mean, I, I hang in there as best as I can, <laughs> and I'll just make some sort of validating statement, like, "Man, that sounds like that's really hard." Of, of all that you shared, what what like what's the most important thing that you really want me to hear? And and what it does is just it 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 gives her a second just to kind of go. Well, it's and then usually she'll give me sort of the nugget, and so and and do that in a very legitimate, very honoring way. I'm not trying to be sarcastic, like okay, I heard none of that. Like, what were you trying to say? <laughs> but I just, yeah, just like of all of that, and again, I know that's hard, man. I know there's a lot going on. I mean, say whatever validating statement you can come up with, and just say of all that, what what do you really want me to 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 hear hmm. the most? Yeah, that's helpful. Okay, good. Okay, what about um, number three would be 
what I'm just kind of loosely calling opinions. So um, not that guys aren't good at sharing opinions, but a lot of women... We are awesome <laughs> at sharing opinions. Thank okay, you. but here's where it gets weird. Here's where it gets sketchy because... I find a lot of women complain that guys are super passive about stuff or they won't volunteer opinions or won't lead with opinions or because of fear. Yeah. Okay. So they'll say, <laughs> We're yeah. Afraid. And especially on things that maybe might be considered trivial, but then women are like, if he can't even give, you know, make a decision on this, then how's he going to make a decision about that? You know? So it's like, he won't tell me even like what he likes on pizza or I asked him about these drapes and he can't give me an opinion or he can't give me. And so he's just weak. He's just lame. He's passive, you know, whatever. So without being totally demoralized, how do you respond? Yeah. The, so what, what women have to understand again, men, this guy you're hanging out with, or maybe even eventually marrying is different than you and where we will get ourselves in trouble is we we frame those differences as wrong right and so yeah he might be more passive or he might not be able to do good with decisions there might be some important questions you have to ask yourself like hey does he actually feel safe enough to give his opinion you know in the past if i've asked have i criticized or have i judged have i um you know, embarrassed or humiliated him. And so does he feel safe enough to share? And, you know, if you can check that box, the next one is, okay, who am I with? And and valuing him for him. And, and kind of like what I said earlier, that's where this letting go and love thing can come into real handy because, look, you may be with someone, that's their thing. Like my wife, for me, if she needed in order to be satisfied in our marriage and satisfied in her life if she needed me to be organized and detailed then she's going to suffer until the day she dies because as much as i want to get better as much as i want to improve in certain areas of my life some of these things i'm taking with me to the grave and so it's like look if and, and if you're dating by the way like greg talked about earlier that is the point. You want to know this. Is this guy indecisive? There's a lot of men, personality-wise, that are indecisive. And if that's something that you don't want to have to spend the rest of your life with, move on. Nicely move on. But move on. Because we're none of us are going to solve for sin. And so as much as we strive for perfection, as much as we try to improve ourselves, we are going to struggle until the day we finally die, which is a gift for those who are in Christ. But we have to suffer while we're here. And two, I think for, for the woman to really understand it, what is she really wanting in that moment? Because I know that like when, when, when my wife will ask me those kinds of questions, I mean, I'm such a pleaser, like Michael saying, I mean, just my personality, that I genuinely get so much joy of, of serving, of sacrificing, of, you know, what, no, whatever you want. And, and so part of what you're trying to observe is, is this a personality kind of pleaser who, who really genuinely just, just wants to give and, and serve? Or is this someone who's really struggling with leading, with, with, with expressing opinion, so afraid to do that? Those would be huge red flags. I mean, part of it is just really observing, trying to better understand what, what is that about? 
and you know, Lisa, you and I have taken personality tests through work, and we always laugh because there, there's one where I, I just score. I'm such a peacemaker and such a pleaser that it's just I, I just get so much joy out of. I don't. It doesn't matter what I want. I, I want to know what you want, but that can turn very unhealthy. And so it's good to to notice that. But but part of it is probably he's trying to to really show up in a way of going, hey, I want to give, I want to sacrifice, but you've got to figure out, is that is that it? Or is there a deeper issue that's going to show up so that I become super frustrated in a, in a longer-term relationship, a marriage, to where I'm just, this guy's never going to lead? Yeah. And I would imagine, you know, there's a difference between, like, random, more petty things that really you don't have an opinion on and you really don't care. And you're going to let your wife be like, yeah, let's make you just make that decision versus if she senses there's something you really would have an opinion on and you're still hesitant to give it or you just don't know how to land or whatever. There's probably a difference, I would imagine there. Yeah, very much so. And that's that's what you're just trying to observe. And again, that's dating is all about learning, observing, noticing. What does that mean? And, and it's, it, yeah, that's, it's a challenging time, a great time. I mean, it's, it's fun to have those, those early conversations. You're really getting to know someone, but yeah, really learning what is, what does all that mean? Having good people, mm-hmm. community, you can go, okay, here's what I'm observing. I probably might tend to, to say, oh, that's not a big deal or excuse that. But what do you guys hear? So just having people who you can bounce off these questions and maybe some concerns and get some good feedback from people who really know and care about you. That's so important. Yeah, that's good. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, we are out of time. Um, but fortunately there is the book men's relational toolbox again, written by Gary Gregg and Michael Smalley. And actually, uh, we have the book available for you. And so we want to make it available to you for a gift of any amount to boundless. So just go to boundless.org. In fact, you can just search this episode and you will see the cover right there. Click on it. Uh, give a gift to boundless. You know, you love us anyway, uh, for all the stuff that we bring to you as part of this community, the article, the shows, um, the opportunities on social. And um, yeah, and so just a gift of any amount, literally, we will send this book to you as our thank you. And so um, yeah, it's just a great way to, I think, kickstart some of those questions around communication, around relationships, around understanding the opposite sex, what's important, what can you let go? And there's a bunch of wisdom there. So um, Greg and Michael, thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Lisa.
All right, everyone, we are opening up this week's inbox, as we always do, and uh, just letting you know, like, hey, we still get relationship questions, and we still love them because we have fabulous experts, like our own Jenny Coffey, uh, from our counseling department to answer this one. Yes. So, are you ready for it? I am. Okay, here we go. Our listener says, I'm a young woman in my late 20s and I'm currently in my second dating relationship. My parents have always given me guidance on romance, but I feel like they can be helicopter parents. (laughs) They also have a lot of expectations and ideas regarding how a romantic relationship should go. I realize I don't have a lot of experience with romantic relationships, but I'm still an independent adult who needs to figure some things out on my own and accept the consequences. With these things in mind, what are some healthy boundaries to set with my parents where my love life is concerned. Yes. I think one of the biggest things to point out first is that she, if there's boundary issues now, there's going to be boundary issues later if this does become a more serious relationship if and when that happens. Mm -hmm. So setting those boundaries now with mom and dad as far as what this needs to look like is going to be paramount or else these are going to be exacerbated later on. And what this typically says to me, I, I hear loving parents in this. I don't hear parents that are trying to, you know, control her life you know, as a parent, you want the best for your kid. And I think sometimes depending on her specific situation, if she's lived with them for a while or was uh, launching a little bit later, so to speak, they might have not made the full transition yet to her being that late 20s adult that she is. So starting to set some of those boundaries now and maybe pulling back a little bit from them being her person or people, so to speak, might help her set those boundaries a little bit better because as a marriage therapist, I see a leave and cleave problem here before it's even started. Mm, so mm. really boundaries, uh, that's kind of a buzzword, right? We use it a lot in therapy. And I tell people all the time that it's nothing more than what you will do or what you won't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't have to be this big ominous word of what does that mean? What does that look like? She just needs to step back and say, what do I want this stage of my life to look like? How involved do I want my parents to be? And it's not her parents' job to abide by the boundaries. It's her job to keep them firm. Mm -hmm. And if they are pushing them, then she needs to have a conversation. So it sounds like there just might be some timidity there and knowing how to bring it up. Okay. So is there a way that she can invite, I mean, if they're wise people, can she invite some input from them, but then just say, you know, hey, I'm going to take it into consideration, but I need you to not be like all in my face about it every, you know, weekend when I see you or whatever. Right, right. I mean, what's the conversation that she needs to have? Like, how does she do that? There's a possibility here that mom and dad might have had more of an idealistic courting or dating or marital relationship. And so there are high expectations for what that needs to look like. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I think it can be helpful to bring in, you know, what was it like for you guys? Hmm. What did that look like for you? How did grandma and grandpa distance themselves Mm -hmm. from you in the early dating relationship? And then to start to compare and contrast some of those things so she can hear their story and then use that as an opportunity to say, you know, not to dog on other generations, but here's how things are a little bit different now and how here's how I am trying to individualize myself and create a relationship that's going to be healthy in, you know, the 21st century. So yeah. I think some of that comparing and contrasting can be helpful. Yeah. Awesome. 
Cool. Well, and I would say too, you know, you listener who asked this question and everyone else who's listening, you know that I'm all about you getting objective eyes on your relationship as it is. And so it doesn't necessarily need to be your parents if Mm -hmm. that's a little bit too, a little too close, but it's not, it's also not licensed for you to just get into a big train wreck and and then try to justify it by Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, I have to make my own decisions because Mm -hmm. you might need some help just getting some good insight there too. So Jenny, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for being in on this. I appreciate it. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week's show. As always, we do want to hear from you. So write to us at editor at boundless.org. And uh, we will take a look at your question. And if we can, we'll answer it in the future. And of course, you can go to boundless.org and search there for past questions that we've answered as well, because it may be that there's something in the hopper that that we have that could be of help to you. So, all right. uh, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family.